Okay, guys, we're in lesson 22. We only have seven more lessons after this lesson, but we're in chapter 14 of the book of Revelation. We're going to go into about eight verses of chapter 15 today. And we're going to look at the preparation for the final series of judgments that are going to take place. So we start off in verse chapter 14 with verses 1 to 5, and it's going to draw the attention back to the 144,000. Do you remember we talked about the sealing of the 144,000 a few chapters before? And so now today we're going to talk about them a little bit more. So let's look at verses 1 through 5. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and a voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God, and to the Lamb. And in their mouths was found no deceit, and they were without fault before the throne of God. So we're going to look at the issue of the 144,000 again. John sees a vision of them here in this passage, but he's also going to tell us some specific details about the 144,000. And there's a kind of a side note out of our Revelation study here. It'll kind of help you to understand the falsehood of the Jehovah Witnesses. Because the Jehovah Witnesses for the longest time claimed that they were what? The 144,000. Now, they have to kind of adjust that now because there's more than 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses. But I want you to see some things about the 144,000 that are going to point out to you in this passage that it can't be the Jehovah Witnesses. So let's look here. First of all, the Lamb and the 144,000. The Lamb and the 144,000. John foresees the Lamb surrounded by 144,000 on Mount Zion. Now, first of all, who's the Lamb, folks? Jesus Christ. So what John sees is, is he sees on Mount Zion, that's in Jerusalem, he sees the Lamb, he foresees this, surrounded by 140, the 144,000 who were sealed. Now, verse 2 and 3 also tells us that they're, they're going to sing. There's a song that they sing. The heavenly group sings a song before the throne that a heavenly group, so this 144,000 hear a song that only they can hear. So a heavenly group sings a song before the throne that only the 144,000 can hear. So there's going to be music that's going to happen in the future that only this select group can hear. So do you understand? This is a select group. We're not going to be part of that group, folks. We're Gentiles. We already know from before that these are Jews of the 12 tribes. And they're the only ones who are going to be able to hear this song. Now look at verses 4 and 5. The 144,000 are marked by their purity and service for the Lamb. They're marked by their purity and service for the Lamb. 
Now I want you to look with me specifically at verse 4. This is how you answer the issue of the Jehovah Witnesses. Tell me some characteristics from verse 4 that you see about these 144,000. Okay, number one, they're virgins. Number two, what else do you see? They're men. All right, let's stop for a moment. First of all, they're men who have never known a woman. So they're virgin men. They're Jewish virgin men. Let's stop for a moment. Most Jehovah Witnesses tend to be what? Well, they're married. Gentiles. What else? Women. Most of them are women because they may even be married. Like I've known Jehovah Witnesses where the wife was a Jehovah Witness, but the, ma the husband wasn't anything. How many of you know, have seen that? We've all seen that. So here's what I'm trying to say to you. They cannot be the 144,000. The Bible specifically says in two different places, we've already seen prior, that these are Jews. And here we see that these are virgin men. Now let's just stop for a moment. There's another description of them. Look at verse 5. It says something about their character. Yeah, the without fault and what? What does it say about their speaking? They don't lie. Now, I had an interesting experience when I was pastoring in Canada. I was in the driveway. I think it was mowing the yard. And a couple of them came by. And the lady came up and said, she came up and said, would you like a, it was an Awake magazine. You know what, you know the, okay. She said, would you like a publication that talks about a leukemia? And, and I said, no, I'm really not interested. And she said, first of all, I don't, I don't get all upset with them, slam doors and curse at them, okay? First of all, you shouldn't either, all right? So here, here's the thing. And I said, well, I'm, I'm really not interested. And she said, you mean you're not interested in knowing about leukemia? I said, no, it's not that I'm not interested in leukemia. I'm just not interested in your literature. And I wasn't quick enough at the time. I was thinking about other things. But I, I should have said to them, if what you have is truth, why do you have to lie about it? Do you understand what I'm saying? If what you have is truth, why do you have to lie about it? Because she was being deceptive. Because it wasn't about just leukemia, folks. It was their Awake magazine, which is about what? What they believe. So here's what I'm saying. So these guys that we're talking about here, they're Jews, they're virgin men, and they have an upstanding character. They don't lie, and they're without fault. They're not people who are marked by a sinful lifestyle. That, can I be honest with you, does not describe a Jehovah Witness. Do you understand what I'm saying? But this is what we see here. John sees these special group who are marked by purity on the mountain. Then look with me at verse 6 through 12. He turns his attention now to something else. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all the nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, 
he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and who receive his mark, the mark of his name. There is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Okay, so let's look here. The message of the three angels. First of all, the first angel brings an eternal message to the world. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You can read this passage and make a false assumption from this passage. You can read this passage, you can read verse 6, and assume that the angel is coming and proclaiming the gospel as we know it, that is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is not what he's proclaiming here, because angels don't proclaim the gospel that we proclaim. Human beings proclaim it. So this is a different message. So the message that this angel is bringing which, can I be honest with you, gospel means good news. So the good news that he's bringing is actually not good news to the inhabitants of the world. It's good news to you and I, and we're going to see why it's good news to you and I here in a moment, but really what it is, it's a message of God's righteousness and judgment on the world. They're bringing a message of God's righteousness and judgment. Now you say, why would that be good news for us but bad news for them? Well, first of all, any, if somebody says to you you're going to be punished, is that good news? No, it's not good news to the world, but for you and I it is good news, and we'll talk about that in a moment, why that's good news for you and I. So the first angel is bringing a message of judgment to the world. Now there's a second angel. This angel in verse 8 proclaims, the second angel proclaims the fall of Babylon. The second angel proclaims the fall of Babylon. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Remember what I said to you. One of the things that we get so hung up with when we read the book of Revelation is trying to figure out who places are and who people are. And for years, because it talks about that the Antichrist is going to be... Um, the leader of the revived Holy Roman Empire, we assumed that that meant something coming out of Europe again. What I want you to see is, is that the Bible doesn't just specifically talk about one region. It uses names interchangeably. So on one hand, he's going to be the leader of the, Holy, the revived Holy Roman Empire, but here we also see that it's talking about the judgment of Babylon. Now, where is Babylon, folks? It's in Iraq. So you say, what does this mean then? Does it mean it's going to be a judgment for Europe and a judgment for the Middle East? No, that's not what it's talking about. What I want you to see is, is that the type of kingdom that it is, the type of world government that it is, is like the Roman Empire, is also like Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're all titles referring to the same type of kingdom. Does everybody understand that? How many of you grasp what I'm saying? Raise your hand. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not that we're looking for... I mean, it could be anywhere. It could be here in the U.S. 
You understand? The, the issue is, is that there is a government coming that is going to be like the Roman Empire in its dominance of the world and its brutality, and it's going to be like Babylon in its dominance of the world and its brutality, and ultimately it's going to be like Egypt in its dominance of the world and brutality. That's reality. That's what I want you to see here. So he's proclaiming that this future kingdom, this future government, is going to fall. It's going to fall. So then, here's the third angel speaks. Now we see this in verses 9 through 11. The third angel pronounces judgment on the beast and those with his mark. Remember last week when we looked at chapter 13, it said this, that those whose names, that, that basically everyone worshipped the beast except those whose names were written in the book of life. Now, let's stop for a moment. Who, who are those whose names are written in the book of life, folks? Believers. So that means everybody else is worshipping the beast. And those who worship the beast, the text really clearly says, they're going to receive a mark either on their hand or on their forehead. Now, this third angel comes along and says that there's going to be a judgment on those who worship what? The beast and who what? Have that mark. So let me just stop for a moment. There is no salvation for them. When they get to that point, there is no second chance. So let me just stop for a moment. You know, there's a, there's, there's a viewpoint that sometimes is out there in Christianity. It's even out there today, even in our community, that everybody's going to make it. How many of you have heard that, that everybody's going to heaven? I mean, you could know somebody and they die, I mean, and they live their life and it was like pure whatever they wanted to do. They couldn't care less about God, but then you go to their funeral and you hear everybody say, oh, he's in heaven with Jesus now. God took him home. I mean, you've heard that type of thing, okay? Can I be honest with you? That's called universalism. That everybody's going to make it. That is a lie. The reality is, even from a passage like this, that those who don't know Jesus are going to where? Hell. In fact, here's the description of what's going to happen. Look with me. Look at verses 9 through 11. Here's what it says. It's going to be the lot the, the judgment for those who receive the mark who worship the beast. Notice what it says, verse 10. And he himself, that's talking about those who receive the mark, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So he's going to experience the wrath of God, the righteous judgment of God. He's going to experience that. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever received the mark of his name. So let's stop for a moment. What kind of punishment are they going to have? Is it just for a moment? It's eternal, forever and ever. What kind of punishment is it? Is it like go sit in a corner? Yeah, it's torture, torment, agony. Now, let me just stop for a moment. 
Let me remind you of something. We're talking not that their physical bodies are going to be tormented. We're talking about something that's far more I can't even, I don't even know how to describe it. They're spiritual beings. You understand what I'm saying? This is why people, when you hear people explain away hell, they say things like, well, how can fire burn forever? Well, you're thinking about physical fire. We're not talking about this. We're talking about a spiritual judgment on spirit beings. You understand you are a spirit being, a spiritual being within a body of flesh. This body of flesh is going to be gone. But your spirit is going to continue on. And if you don't know Jesus, it's going to be what? Torment. You understand what I'm saying? The reality of it is real. We've lost that in the church today. You understand? We've lost that. We, we want to embrace a universalistic thinking that everybody's going to make it. But we've lost the reality of the fact is, is that people who don't know Jesus are going to hell. And that's reality. And those especially in this time period, there is no salvation for them. If they worship the beast and receive his mark, there's no salvation for them. Now, let's stop for a moment. Is that true today? Those who don't know Jesus, is there still hope for them? Yeah. Yeah, there is. So therefore, we need to what? We need to witness. And I'm not talking about beat them over the head with the Bible. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about in-your-face stuff. I remember that kind of stuff. You understand? I'm an independent Baptist preacher. I understand. I remember what it was like 25 years ago. You know, go on visitation and try to get them to pray a prayer. We're not talking about that. We're talking about them helping them to come to grasp of who Jesus is and bringing them to a place where they grasp the reality of who he is and make a commitment to follow him. That's salvation. We're not talking about beating people over the head. So there is still hope now. So here's, but then John says something else to us. He writes something else that is very interesting. Look at verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Here's what I want you to see. The coming judgment sustains the saints in their temporary trouble. Now, first of all, who's this talking about? This judgment that's going to befall the earth, that's going to befall those who worship the Lamb, I mean, excuse me, who worship the beast, who receive his mark, their eternal judgment, the reality of their judgment of hell, how is that going to sustain this group of people, whoever it's talking about, in their temporary troubles? Who's it talking about here in verse 12? Who's it talking about? Anybody? Got a guess? Yeah, the believers. Okay, so let me ask you. So let's, how is the reality of what's going to be coming to the wicked? You know, understand, the Bible describes the wicked as those who do not follow Jesus. So they can be upstanding and, and whatever, but they're not. The reality is that there isn't. They can be moralistic, and they're still condemned. They're still called the wicked. The reality is, okay... How does the reality of their judgment sustain you and I as believers in our temporary problems? How does that sustain us? Anybody got a guess or an answer? Okay, there's something better coming. Okay, that's good, Rhonda. Anybody else? It's not in vain. Okay, that's good, Bruce. 
Yeah, vengeance. Okay, let's stop for a moment. I mean, all of us here are not wet behind the ears anymore. Is that right? And all of us have been in situations, a lot of times it's work situations, where, let, let's be honest, how many of you have had somebody do you wrong? Just, you don't need to tell me what it was. How many of you had somebody do you wrong? Raise your hand. All right, look around, everybody. I think that's everybody. Somebody has done you wrong. All right? And, and, when you, and, and just want you to think back for a moment. When somebody did you wrong, it was devastating, wasn't it? And you wondered, I mean, and, and, and a lot of times you couldn't do anything back to them maybe, right? Let me just stop for a moment. And it's like, who? It's like, man, and you think about it. Here's how the Bible describes that, as a temporary trouble. It's only temporary. So keep that in perspective, everybody. The junk you go through is only what? Temporary. Now stop for a moment. Listen else. Just what Caleb said. You and I need to be patient through our temporary troubles because payday is coming. Somebody else is going to settle accounts. And, and then, who would you rather have settle accounts, you or God? You understand what I'm saying? God's the one who settles accounts. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is the one who settles accounts. In fact, if you realize that, then you'll understand things like this. When you go to Acts chapter 5 and you see the stoning of Stephen, and right as he's being stoned, he prays this prayer, God forgive them. You that's, if you look at that, it's really kind of weird. These people are killing him, and he's saying forgive them. What's going on there? I think he understands who's going to pay him back. And the retribution of God is far greater than any retribution that you could come up with. In fact, let's be honest with you. Some of you maybe have tried to wreck retribution on your own. It never satisfies. Isn't that true? Never satisfies. But, this, but there is satisfaction in knowing that God will settle it, and that's it. You understand? So this coming judgment sustains, sustains the saints in their temporary troubles. All right, now look at verse 13. The blessing... The blessing of the faithful. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. All right, so here's what I want you to see. A blessing is pronounced upon those believers who die in the tribulation. So the believers who die during the tribulational period are blessed. Verse 14 through 20 then gives us the message, messages of the second group of three angels. So look with me at verses 14 through 20. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he sat on the cloud and thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice to him who had a sharp sickle, saying, 
thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to a horse's up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. Okay, so let's look at this. First of all, the one on the John sees Christ on a throne with a sickle in his hand. Does everybody understand what a sickle is? We don't use those very much anymore. So for you gardeners, maybe it's it's kind of a you have a handle and then it's a long curved blade, and that's what they used to harvest with. A lot of places around the world still use that, but you know that that it's a it's a gardening tool. Here's the other thing. The first angel calls to the one on the throne, which is Jesus, to harvest with his sickle. So the first angel, the first thing he says is, calls out to Jesus and says, harvest with your sickle. Now here's the second and third angel. The second angel has a sickle in his hand. So he sees a second angel who comes out of the temple, and he has a sickle in his hand. The third angel... This is what he's doing. A third angel calls to the second angel to bring judgment with his sickle. That's what's going on here. When he talks about harvesting, we're not talking about harvesting souls here for the kingdom. We're talking about, because you see it later when he talks about the vine press of the wrath of God, we're talking about judgment. So the second angel tells, uh, the third angel calls to the second to bring judgment. And then verses 19 through 20 tells us, that the second angel brings about a great slaughter with much bloodletting. So there's some serious judgment going on. There's going to be a great slaughter with, some, with much bloodletting. Then we get to chapter 15, and here's where we're going to end. Verses 1 through 8. We see seven more angels introduced. You understand, this is all coming out of the seventh trumpet. This is all part of the seventh trumpet that we see here. And so now we see seven more angels. Look with me at verses 1 through 8. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of gold. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, o Lord, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy, and all the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came seven angels, having seven plagues, clothed in pure white linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God 
and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So let's look here. The seven angels are introduced. John sees another sign of seven angels with seven great plagues. So let's stop for a moment. What these seven are, are something completely different than the other judgments. Sometimes somebody will say, well, they, all, they, they overlap each other. No, they don't. This is another, these are the seven final judgments on the earth. And he sees seven angels who have these seven plagues. Verse 2, John sees the gathering of the tribulational martyrs. He sees those who had given their life for Christ during the tribulation. Verse 3 and 4, the martyrs sing a song of praise to the Lord. So they're going to sing a song of praise to the Lord. They're going to sing the song of Moses, and they're going to sing the song of the Lamb. So they're singing this to the Lord. And then finally, this is where we're going to end today, John sees seven angels who are given seven golden bowls of wrath, or censers, seven golden bowls of wrath. When we get back to our study in Revelation, we're going to see the description of those bowls in Lesson 23 of Revelation 16. All right, so let's pray.